Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We look ahead to the first day of pre-season testing with Gary Anderson and ask what's gone wrong for Williams. Formula One 2019 is about to get serious. We've seen the new cars in the various launches over the past few days, but on Monday, Barcelona Circuit de Catalunya will finally get to see the cars run. Well, most of them. Anyway, I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to look ahead to testing is uh, is Gary Anderson, who currently luxuriating on the uh, very pleasant sofa in our in our mansion, not far from uh, from the circuit. Yeah, it's all about to kick off, really. Um, it's very interesting, really, because obviously the changes this year, you could say they're small, not not massive changes, but they're very subtle and very important changes to the cars. So it's, it's interesting what we've seen so far uh, from the cars that the, of the different arrangements in the front wing area. Um, and it's going, to be, it's going to be really, really quite uh, difficult to know without seeing the cars perform as to who's got it right. But because we've got Mercedes gone one way with a have what you might call a conventional five-element wing, um, and Red Bull, more or less the same, and then we've got the Ferrari has gone for this wing that dips off as it goes out to the front wing end plate. So those three top teams as such, it's going to be quite interesting to see who's got it right, because somebody somewhere has missed the point a little bit, and it's uh, one of them's going to have to change. 
What's your gut feeling? I don't know how you can produce the front downforce without having the components there. Um, producing front downforce in front of a rotating tyre from a, a section and wing there is is quite quite difficult. Um, and the, the wing is limited to five elements, so you've got to be really careful with how that flow changes with the steering lock because the front the front wheel's on the move all the time. It's not just in a straight line, it's going around the corner. So it is quite difficult to produce efficient downforce in that area. Um, but if you don't have the bits there, you're not producing any front downforce in that area. And as we know with these tyres, they've always responded to more load. That's one of the reasons the Mercedes, or the, that's one of the reasons the top teams have been better, is because they have bigger facilities, more people, more budget. They can build a car that produces just that bit more downforce, which then means you get a better return from the tyre. So grip level just goes up exponentially as such. So you need to put the bits in the car to produce that downforce. Now, I don't think with this Ferrari-style wing or the Sauber-style wing as it is, and even Renault a bit, I'm not sure, well, Sauber's now Alfa Romeo, but I'm not sure that you can actually produce the front downforce required. Uh, the argument is, obviously, with that configuration, you can generate enough of, a, of an outwash. Do you think that with though, that reduced amount of front wing components as you move towards the towards the end plate, that they can still get enough of outwash from that? Presumably, that's the idea, that there's there's some mechanism that makes that powerful enough to do it. Yeah, and it's it's all, you can, you can see it and you can understand it to a certain level, but the thing for me is the front wing has been made 10 centimetres wider each side this year. It's 20 centimetres wider overall. So basically the end plate lines up with the outside of the front tyre. So instead of having to really be aggressive with, that, with turning that airflow in front of the front tyre out around the wheel, you don't have to be so aggressive because the end plate's further out. So the, the airflow wants to go around the outside of the front tyre itself. Because the airflow is trying to grind outside of the front tyre and connect that with the low pressure in behind the front tyre. So it's sort of trying to fill the hole that the front tyre is making in the air, in the air, air flow as it goes through the, through the, through the air. So um, I don't, the philosophy would have changed if the FIA had just allowed a wider front wing for this year and forgotten about doing, all, doing away with all those bits and pieces, um, those bits of turning vanes. I think those bits of turning vanes would have disappeared anyway. So I'm not quite sure why this change has been that you have to drop the flaps off going outboard. So it, as I say, it's going to be very interesting to see because, again, the steering angle of the front wheel changes the front wing performance dramatically, whether the wheel's going in or out on the on the front wing. So I'm really excited to see it. And Barcelona's great because turn one, turn two, and turn three, you know, you need a good front end. The car has to change direction very good. And also in that long, fast right-hander, turn three, you've, the front end's got to stay in or else you just will run out of road. So let's see who's got it right and who's got it wrong. It'll show up pretty quickly, I think. But it does seem strange. You make the point about the not being able to generate as much front downforce. They might be able to from kind of reducing the, the, the front wing area. But when they set the rules with the wider front wing, and it's also a little bit deeper, one of the arguments for doing that was they wanted to make sure that teams could generate enough front end downforce despite the the simplification of the front wings and the, the kind of elimination of what might be called the forward furniture that you won't now see each year. So that just doesn't seem to tally with, with with what they're doing. But if they were worried about not being able to generate enough, and now you've got teams willfully giving up a certain amount of, of wing area there. I suppose, you know, what I'd like to sort of say, I suppose, is initially I've never seen such a big difference between two top teams. You know, whenever you consider that last year Ferrari and Mercedes were nip and tuck, as far as circuit performance was concerned, speed was concerned, most of the season. Sometimes Mercedes were better, sometimes Ferrari were better. But in general, you know, when they got their cars together, both of them got the car 
working correctly. They were pretty close. And, you know, the philosophy of the cars is quite different. You look at this underskirt and the or under the, the fin on the Mercedes underneath the nose, you know, different stuff on it. But the basic philosophy of the car and how it was generating the outwash front wing end plates, um, a vortex at the what we call the Y250, the barge boards are very intricate, helping seal the underfloor, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff was working to different degrees, but to the same end result. Whereas now, with this little change on the wing of being wider and, the, as you say, removing all that furniture, that's all gone. If you consider that you know last year's wing, and I'll, I'll use an odd number here, you know last year's front wing was probably made out of something like a, 101 components, and the, the one is because the, the central section in the middle is an FIA-defined part. Um, if you take this, this year's front wing, it's actually made up of probably... 31 components so there's you know like 70 components 70 turning vanes or you know some sort of a thing has all gone missing off that front wing assembly and then for the concept of the front wing to be so different uh, and everybody works from where they were you know nobody will sort of re- try to reinvent the wheel they'll come in from where they were last year they'll change the bits and pieces on the car the, the regulation changes as such they'll see how that affects the airflow around the rest of the car and they will then react to that and optimize bits and pieces and to see two Two teams that last year were nip and tuck actually getting to a point where they've gone such a different route is is very interesting for me. I said that's going to be really interesting areas to see what front wings are going on and off off the cars. We did think with some of the cars that were launched, even before we saw these more extreme examples, that we would see well, well, clearly these were very much launched back front wings for some teams. Yes, I mean we, we don't know yet. Let's let's wait a little while and see who who does what. I mean maybe Mercedes and Red Bull will appear with a, a Ferrari style wing tomorrow when they first run the car, and that was just some old bits they had lying around to put on it to make it look good. But I don't think so. And if I was sticking my neck out right now, I would have said that the the, the Mercedes Red Bull, the more conventional front wing design as such, uh, is is the one that's going to produce the end result. Well, the good thing is we won't have too long to, to start to find out because testing does start off uh, tomorrow. Obviously, Autosport's out here in, in force. You'll be hearing from uh, me and Gary each day. And you might be able to hear in the background some various clunking around. That's Scott Mitchell doing the doing some cooking for us. And there's a t- kitchen table full of people doing work, video projects being put together. There's our technical editor, Jake Boxer-Leg, looking at various images of things. So an interesting one to talk about now, a bit of news. We've had that Williams won't be running on the first day of testing. It's obviously also a useful way to think about what teams have been doing in terms of preparing to get to the, the first test. Williams were meant to do a filming day by way of a shakedown, which would have been this weekend. So that should already have been done. So they're missing the first day of testing. We have to say, I guess, at this stage, the first day of testing at least. They do say they're going to be out Tuesday. With only eight days of testing, that's quite that's quite serious. So how how does it go wrong? How does a car build? What What might crop up that would lead Williams to be in this position without having to give up? Well, an eighth of their testing pre-season. Well, we often hear, you know, it's um, from teams about success being about procedures and making sure your, your, you know, your company operates efficiently and communication within it is good and you know everybody's working to to an end result, and that and that's exactly the same as trying to get a new car built. There's so many parts coming together from different directions and at different you know, manufacturing times. So, you know, one part will take a few hours to make and one part will take a few weeks to make. So that, that's all got to be planned. And that plan's got to start like six months ago and kicking into place. And the, the one thing you do want to make sure is that you have all the bits in a big pile as late as possible. You know, you don't want sort of the front wing flaps sitting there for three weeks because that means you've just 
stopped three weeks early on developing them. So you want everything to pile into the workshop in a big pile. The guys start putting the car together from the inside out. And the last bit that arrives is the, the wing mirrors, you know, because that's the last bit you need. And that all has to be planned over a period of time. And that's a procedure that obviously we've seen. Mercedes have been able to manage it. They've got their car out, did their test day at Silverstone, or their filming there, as they call it. Uh, Red Bull did the same. Um, you know, the other teams are close to the mark, but, you know, even Alfa Romeo have got out, got out and done it. Ferrari have done it. So the, the cars have run, or the majority of the cars have run. Force India, as it was, it's now Racing Point. Um, they've struggled a little bit in getting it all together, but as far as I know, they are going to be together for to start tomorrow testing. And, and unfortunately for Williams, it just shows that there's, there's still things missing there. Yes, they've tried very hard over the winter to build a better car than they had last year. So has everybody. That's the thing. But you've got to achieve your goals because it's the same as you start developing and you're starting to introduce bits and pieces. You know, if you've got a new front wing coming for Barcelona and it, it misses it by a day, it arrives on Monday morning after Barcelona, again, you've missed another another race with that new development stuff. So you have to get those procedures in place that make it happen. And, you know, you've got to make sure that you don't miss these days because one day out of eight is a is a huge loss you can try and make all that up but in reality you can't make all that up you know you, you can you can shorten your program that you set out to do um, but you, you'll never make up for it so it's a loss to them and that's a bad way to start the season it's a big concern for Williams isn't it because they've got a lot of work so they, we have seen in the past teams like Red Bull a few times we're going back five six seven years wouldn't have the new car at the first test but that was when there were more pre-season tests more test days like you say, it's always tight for everyone. All teams talk about how how difficult it has been to get the car from running, but they they usually make it. And so this this is, suggests to me that something's gone wrong for Williams, and whether that's in terms of their schedule originally was was optimistic and wasn't deliverable, or whether something's cropped up they've had to tackle. The fact that they were originally aiming for this shakedown, which means they're a few days out, suggests suggests to me that probably something has cropped up. They've had to they've they're having to troubleshoot. Yeah, I mean, that's what I say. You you have to sort of monitor this stuff every every day. You know, there's every everything that's happening should be at a certain point. So you you're not waiting to see if a thing comes in the door the day before the car is bolted together. You know, you should have known a week before that. Oh, we're having a little bit of trouble with this part of it here. It might take us an extra hour, and you find a way to overcome that little problem. If you wait to the thing that doesn't come in the door, um, then you, you know, you're far too late. So yes, there's something's popped up that's, that's caused them a grief. And I'd say all these, you know, like for example, all these suspension components will be drawn, they'll come in and they'll be, the first ones will be put in a rig and they'll be tested to, to see that they meet the design loads and that they're strong enough to use on the track. And, and that, that's one of the things that makes the cars much, much more reliable these days. And in the old days, you know, we used to stick our finger in the air and hope. Whereas now you've got the tools and the information to sort of uh, be able to test all that stuff before it gets to the track. Maybe something that gets failed and, you know, they've had to go back and readdress it. So it's got, it's not missing the day for the for a wrong reason. It's missing the day, a day for the right reason because something's gone wrong. So it's better to regroup and fix it at the beginning than putting on someone that might be, um, you know, not good enough for the job and it failing go around turn three and you end up in the barrier and destroy your car and then you miss the next four days so it's better to miss one day but there has to be a genuine reason for it and they have to realize that genuine reason and they have to try and fix it so it doesn't happen again it's going to be interesting to monitor their progress and obviously hope they do get the car out for the second day of testing because sometimes these things do have a tendency to creep on don't they and it suddenly you're 
oh, we might be out Tuesday afternoon or then suddenly it rolls on to Wednesday so that the Williams need to get that car out and running. Because it's very important, this early running, isn't it? Some teams are already, have already shaken down on a filming day. Mercedes have, Red Bull have, Toro Rosso, Alfa Romeo, to name a few run over running on Saturday at Barcelona. So what what's the first... What does the first day of testing look like for teams? I mean, both those who have already done a shakedown and those who might be running the car for the first time. Well, you know, your first running really is all about making sure all the systems on the car work properly. Um, you know, the oil system, the water systems, all the cooling, the water flows. You know, this is so complicated that you just got to make sure that everything is doing what it should do. Um, and if not, then you've got to address why, because it's just it can be just, you know, something that's... You know, not allowing the water flow to, to work correctly, and if suddenly you've got a little bit of overheating or a, a, a point in the radiator where you've got potentially an airlock and you can't get the flow through it. Small, or small. Rubens Barrichello can't change gear in one of your cars? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like didn't change gear, but you know, that's a safety feature. Basically, there's two notches on the steering column. Um, the first one, nothing connects up. Uh, electrically, so you can put the steering wheel on, but nothing, the steering wheel doesn't work. It goes on to the second notch, everything connects up and all works properly. Which car was that? It was, the it was a 194, Jordan 194. I guess it's nice, a nice easy fix at least. Well, yeah, basically what happened was that the, the steering wheel, although it was pretty hectic at the time, uh, stressful, but the steering wheel hadn't gone into the second notch, but it had nearly gone into the second notch, so it all connected up. He got uh, first gear and whatever, drove out the garage, but just with driving off, the steering wheel slipped back that five millimetres into the first notch, the safety notch, so it wouldn't fall off and it still steers the car, but you can't do anything more electrically. So um, basically, it, you know, it just as a safety feature, I drove in and we reached in and pulled the, safety, the um, quick release mechanism, pushed it on and away it went. It was a big relief. But those things do, you know, things can happen. Um, but basically, if you're, if you're starting to run your new car, first thing you want to make sure is all the systems work correctly and that the data you're gathering, because there'll be... There'll probably be, you know, like let's say, a hundred different sensors and extra sensors on these cars at the moment to pick up little points of through the radiator systems, through the oil systems of flow and probably temperature, uh, just to make sure, as I say, everything's working the way you designed it as such. Um, there'll be a lot more aerodynamic sensors on the car. The underfloor will all be little taps, pressure tappings on the floor, so they can measure the the performance of it. The front wing's probably going to be the same. So the, the cars will be going out and they'll be gathering data as such, both for the normal reliability of the systems on the car, but also to make sure that the underfloor and the front wing um, is working because that's the most difficult part of a racing car. It's the bit that's near the ground. It's the bit the car's always moving. Um, the, the ground surface changes how it all works. Um, so you, you, you cannot simulate that 100%. You can try as best you can, but to just get it to correlate with what's happening on the track is quite tough. Even the temperature changes, the ground temperature will change how it works. So you want to try and get a, a sort of graph of how that's all, all, all working. And if that correlates with what you think it should be doing, then you're on your way, you're happy. But there's no point in running a car around in a circle these days and trying to think that you understand it without actually having the data. Because there's so much development work going on back at the factory that if suddenly what you think should happen to that car on the track isn't happening to that car on the track, it can completely change your development direction. So you've got to make sure you know the facts of how your car wants to work. And like going back to Williams and not wanting to harp on at them, but you know, last year they had their problem with the, the back of the car. The, um, wasn't, you know, the airflow wasn't reattaching on the diffuser and the car was very nervous to drive at the beginning of the year. Um, they never really got on top of it. And the same with McLaren. McLaren 
you know, they, they believe their car lost a lot of downforce um, mid-corner with steering lock. But it was doing that at the beginning of the year, and, and they never really got on top of it. You know, it's a nervous car to drive. Um, but you've got to recognize that early on, and then you can you can direct your development path to fix it. So th- those first tests, those first early tests, will be try to understand that your car is doing what you think it should do, and that all the systems within the car work properly. And then you'll get into some more performance running later on. And on the first day of testing, we know that when it comes to lap times, it, any lap time in testing is heavily caveated with fuel loads, track conditions, tyres, programmes, all manner of things. So they're always very difficult to interpret anyway. But can you read anything into the the first day if you're just looking at lap times and when laps completed? Yeah, out in the track, I think you can. I mean, the, the what I call the sort of stance of the car, you can pick that up quite quickly. And the consistency of the car, as long as the guys are doing more than one lap. You this is where you can kind of see the the on the on track dynamics of the car. Yeah, you just see how the car, you know, how how can it clip the curb every lap? You know, is that what he's doing? As it one lap is clipping the curb, and the next time he's half a meter away from it or whatever. Um, and also the way the car reacts and turns, and you know, as the as the rear nerve, you can see all those things. The rear being nervous, and you can also see the, you know, if the car's heavy or not. The agility of the car comes with with loads. You put an extra hundred kilograms of fuel in the car, or as it would be probably seventy kilograms extra, because most of them will run with. 30 kilograms or whatever and they'll go up to 100 for to see what it, it happens to the tires with the you know high fuel loads so you you got a difference in 70 kilograms you know that's that's a, a monumental thing on, on one of these cars that's that's two and a bit seconds of just lap time it could be even more with 110 kilos yeah it's, it's just it's just you know as i was saying you always run with something in the car so you're not putting just from nothing to 110 but at least you're going to look at two and a half seconds maybe three seconds of of difference in the car and that three seconds of difference is lost in each corner. You know, that's the, the thing about it. It's not lost coming down the straight. It's lost on acceleration, yes, but it's, it's also lost under braking. But So it's braking for each corner and accelerating out each corner. So you can see if the car's lively or not lively. So I think not, not as many of the teams go out on the track as, as I would like to see because I think you can, you can see things. You can see things that are happening with your car as opposed to just listening to the driver or looking at the data. I think you can visually pick up how difficult, or and even just to compare to other cars, because you're not getting the data from other cars. You're getting the data from yours, and you're making all your assumptions based on your car. If you just compare yours to another car, you can see what the flow's like, how, you know, how, the, car, how the car sort of reacts to the driver and stuff. And I think it's very valid to go out in the track and have a good look. You do sometimes see team personnel go out. I know sometimes there's team personnel go out with uh, things to listen to other cars to to work out what's going on but you will sometimes see see people going out team members just have a little bit of a look at it sometimes you see drivers out uh, out trackside just to have a bit of a look at, at what the other driver's doing when they're yeah the, <clears throat> the thing i'd say about that is you've got to do it fairly consistent you've got to try and get your eye in with it and uh, i'll go back a, a long time it was whenever ralph Sh- uh, schumacher drove for us in 1997 and um at turn turn 10 as it come at barcelona coming down the back straight as such and there's a left-hand corner it's a bit different now but it's still a left-hand corner um and i was out watching the outside of the track there and i had my radio on with the pits and just having a look at the car and um you know i heard him coming down there and watched him a few times and it was coming into it in the rear the car was a bit nervous so he'd just turn in that little bit earlier and that little bit gentler and then he'd have some understeer in the middle of the corner and he went back into the pits to his engineer and uh, um it was actually Rob Smedley at the time, and uh, I said to Rob, you know, I've got too much understeer um, in the car. And I said, on the radio I heard this, and I said, 
spoke back to him. I said, I'm not sure you do. I said, I, th- I don't think you've got too much understeer. I think it's the rear of the car is nervous because you're, you're now creating the understeer yourself. And I suggested to stiffen the front of the car up so they could, uh, they could break deeper into the corner, basically. Um, and they did that, come out and drove down into the corner and lo and behold, no understeer. But it was only because he could break later and turn the car harder and get more of the corner taken initially rather than going into the middle of the corner and then having lots of steering lock on. So, uh, you know, you can see things, as I say, and, and the driver drives the car. A good driver will pick up what he's got and get the best out of it for a lap time. And if that lap time is faster than the previous lap time, then he's done a good job. But if you drive the car in one manner all the time, um, then you need a car that suits that manner. That was something that, like Jensen Button, Jensen had a way of driving the car where his mid-corner speed was quite high. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't, break late and sort of make a sharp corner out of it. It made a flowing corner, a bit like you need for F3. And if the car suited his driving style, he was very good, very quick, but it can't always suit like that. So I think a driver needs to go out, adapt to what he's got, and then you look at the stopwatch and say, is that faster or slower? And you, you take it from there. Um, but that's a fine line because you can also be creating your own problems. So you've got to be very disciplined to know when you've had to alter your driving style to suit the car setup. Um, and as to whether it's faster or slower and better for the tyres or worse for the tyres. So there's a lot to do in testing, and, and somebody out there with a, a keen eye can usually spot some stuff. I think the encouraging thing for tomorrow, if the weather's like it's been today, it's a lot warmer than it was last year. Because I it was freezing last year. I remember watching on the first, it's like the first day, it looked like the Toro Rosso had no no front end grip at all because they couldn't they just couldn't get the front the front that switched on at all. So we should at least see, you know, these aren't representative conditions, but but less unrepresentative perhaps than we saw 12 months ago. It snowed on one day at the first test last year. No, it's definitely a step better than last year for them. And as, as I say about the stuff near the ground, the front wing and the diffuser and the underfloor and the bottom of the barge boards, all that area, that is all very, very sensitive to to you know ground height and to temperature. Um, and the hotter it gets, if you've got a little problem with it, the hotter it gets, the worse it will get. You know, I've had cars where we come winter test in Barcelona and they've been fantastic drivers just been in raptures about them and you go to the first race in australia and you just want this isn't the same car you go then to malaysia as it used to be you think what happened what did i leave behind you know because this isn't the same cars we test in barcelona with and that's just because the temperature's gone up and your little problem that was you know a five percent problem is now a 40 percent problem it's just because the temperature changes the ground temperature changes you know, everything's different you know? the, the big interesting thing will be the battle up the front, you've got Mercedes and Ferrari, so comparing those two is going to be fascinating. But I think one of the big talking points will also be Red Bull Honda. So what are you hoping to see from from that package? Are you assuming it's going to be mechanic, mechanically and aero-wise a strong car and then just see where see where the engine is? How, how excited are you about seeing it? I like the, their car. I think Edwin Newey, as an aerodynamist, um, is probably one of the best in the pit lane, or is the best in the pit lane. I would like to think that their car will be a good package, and we'll do the job. And I would also love Honda to get there. Now, I don't think they'll they'll get there as a, an out-and-out Mercedes beater, but I think we saw in the last couple of years that on occasions the Red Bull could could make up for its deficit with a Renault engine. Um, how big that deficit was, I don't know. They were very vocal about the deficit to the Renault engine. Um, they are very vocal about the fact Honda hasn't got that deficit. So they've put themselves in a position right now where they should be going out and being competitive with Mercedes and with uh, Ferrari because that's what they've said as a, as a team. Verstappen after his shakedown was, was 
you know, very, very happy with everything the way it went. So I I think that can be, I think they can be up there on more occasions than they were, but I don't think Honda will be able to do it consistently as far as, and reliability is the wrong word, I suppose. You know, just this three-engine thing for the season is, is tough for anybody. Um, and I think they will be trying, they'll be taking a long approach. They'll be looking a bit further down the road. You know, they, they know they've got ground to make up. They've still got ground to make up to be, uh, as good or the best engine in the pit lane, and I think they'll they'll put their early early period with with Red Bull and uh, Toro Rosso into making sure they're getting there with it, knowing that a championship challenge means that you've got to be there every race all the time, and that might be getting put off for another year. But I'd like to think that if they didn't come away with some wins this year, and I'm talking you know three or four wins, five maybe, if they didn't come away with that, I think they would all considered that this year was probably a bit of a waste of time. That won't win them a championship. I doubt very much if it would even look like winning the championship. But they've got to shut down the points gap a bit to those top two, the big two, and show that they can win races on, on you know, more more often than they have done with the Renault engine. You've been quite positive about the Red Bull car. So is that the car, the ones you've seen? I mean, you haven't seen any of them in person as yet, but is that the one that looks... the the most impressive, shall we say? I know it's always difficult to judge when you're just going from images. It's very difficult to judge. Um, my only thing I would say about it is if you give Adrian Newey a bit of a challenge that he can get his teeth into, um, then I think he'll get his teeth into it and do a good job. And I think at the minute that's he is inspired to try to, because of Honda coming in, because it's, it's like a new lease of life for them there. You know, we, we talk about them being a privateer team, they are when they've got Honda engines, but you know, they're the closest to a works team of the rest, other than Mercedes and Ferrari. They're the closest to a works team in reality. They've got big budgets and all you know, big facilities and big people and you know all that stuff. So they, the car, again, it's, for, it's, a, it's the devil's in the detail. and We haven't really seen the detail close enough on any of the cars. If I was to stick my neck out and say the car that I, from pictures that I saw that I thought was the most complete, it would have to be the Mercedes. But that's only because I could see it a bit better. It was easier to sort of pick up stuff on it because it's not that far adrift from what it was before, so you understand it a bit more. Whereas the, the all the rest of them have gone off, you know, off the beaten track a little bit. You need to see it in more detail. I think it's going to be interesting to see the the Alfa Romeo Sauber as was not just for the front wing, but there's obviously a lot more money around that team than there was. They made really impressive strides last year. So I think we're quite excited. We, we have seen the shots from it testing at Fiorano, but to get a good look at that car and see how intricate it is and, and well, that's going to be very interesting because that, that's a car and a team that's got the potential to really cause a stir at the front of the midfield. It is, yeah. Um, my only worry about it is that Kimi is a driver that is is excellent. He loves driving racing cars. Um, but it's a bit like Jensen Button. He's got one way of driving. If, if the car doesn't have the front end that he needs, you know, positive front end and good feedback from the front end then he's just lost he's just, if he gets understeer with the car he's lost in the undergrowth of it all it's just it's happened so many times with him so if the car suits Kimi then I think they can do very good things but they could lose themselves very easily with the car not quite suiting Kimi at the minute so we need to wait and see how testing goes and what happens with these front wing assemblies because without doubt the Alfa Romeo one's the most extreme of this um minimising the flap area in front of the front tyres that there is in the pit lane. So we have to see which direction that all takes because, as I say, I just don't understand how you create the downforce without without having the, the bits and pieces there to work that airflow. 
we've talked a fair bit about the cars. You just mentioned Kimi Räikkönen there. There's a lot of drivers in in unusual places. Daniel Ricciardo going to Renault, for example. Lots of people moving around. We've got influx of new drivers. Antonio Giovinazzi in the Sauber, a driver who you've been quite positive about in in the past. Is that something you're going to be keeping much of an eye on? How certain people get on? Charles Leclerc at Ferrari is a is a is a big one. Can you draw much from? from pre-season testing about how people are fitting in with teams and can you see differences between drivers within the same car as to who's more comfortable and who's settling in? Yeah, I think you will see that. I mean, we've got, we've got quite a nice little sort of bunch of comparisons. Um, you know, whenever you look at the Renault team, for example, Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Ricardo, two very competent drivers. And then we've got McLaren, which has got Carlos Sainz, who drove for Renault last year. So him against Hulkenberg was... Again, a bit tit for tat. Hulkenberg might have just had that little bit on him, but not much. So we'll get good comparisons between drivers and teams. And also then we've got Lando Norris at McLaren against uh, Saints, the new boy coming into town. So I think all the way through the grid, we can see sort of comparisons of available. Sergio Perez at, at, at Force, at, um, not Force India. Force point, 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 racing point, racing point. point. Yeah, Sergio Perez, racing point, and then you know he's he's joined by um, um, what you call him, Um, Stroll. So you know that's a nice comparison. Is Stroll good enough? I personally think he's quite a good driver, and he's been abused a little bit, and he's gone through a tough time in his two years, and his dad's a very rich person and all that stuff. But that's it's really not his fault. Um, So it'd be nice to see him against uh, Sergio. So there's there's lots of nice little comparisons within there. The only the only team I suppose and drivers that we can't just get the comparisons on is the, is the two top ones, the the um, the Mercedes and the Ferrari at the minute, because we've got you know Mercedes have been out on their own against the Mercedes teams, and Ferrari have been out on their own against the Ferrari teams. So we've got Vettel against um, Leclerc. I think Leclerc's very very good. I think on days he'll make. Uh, Sebastian Vettel scratches his head a little bit and then we got to see if Bottas can start to push Hamilton a little bit but I think you'll always see um, a driver getting the flow, getting the team behind him that little bit better, just the momentum gets behind one driver as you know the first three or four races happen but I think Barcelona's a good track because we'll see car comparisons and we'll see driver comparisons from day to day because they'll be driving the same car as such you know one, one day and one the other day or even half days some of them split the day in half and and do it that way so we do get fairly good comparisons fairly quickly and looking at pre-season testing uh, as a whole teams always like saying oh well we'll wait and see see what happens till we get to qualifying in melbourne and of course once you've had qualifying in melbourne they say well we'll wait and see until bahrain and then it's well we'll wait and see what happens in spain but teams do have a pretty good idea of how things are shaking out in pre-season testing don't they that in fact even tomorrow they'll start to get a, a bit of a feel, a feel for if they've got a good car bad car if they're upbeat about things a bit downbeat you know all with the data they've got and the knowledge they'll have of their programs and what other people are doing testing does does tell not the whole story but more the story perhaps than people make out it does the thing you've got to be sort of um weary of or wary of sorry is the is the fact that most teams will have a reasonable development plan in place um for you know the the thursday in, in melbourne uh, so this this is very important. This stage is very important to go to recognise your car's problems and make sure your development plan is in the direction of fixing that. So it's it's going to be down to who's got that best plan in place and how it fits with the car problems that you've got here. But it's the same old deal, you know. You, 
if you've got a quick car, you can't hold it back. You know, any time that we've had a, I've had a good car, from when the driver can go do five laps on it, it comes back in, there's a smile there, there's just a satisfaction that says, oh, this is doing what I wanted to do, you know. And um, and go way back to the, to the Jordan 191. You know, John Watson drove it the first time at Silverstone. Um, and when he came in, he said, it's just, it's just lovely to drive. And that doesn't mean it's going to be a, a you know a race winning car, but it just means that it's all functioning together. And if you can get the sort of driver satisfied, it's it's very important. And the the Braun in two thousand nine was Je- was Jensen, you know, first test at Barcelona was was the same. It just sort of you know first time in the pits, it's just a smile because you know that it, you know it responds to the steering. You hit the throttle, it doesn't spin the wheels, it's not nervous, you know all that stuff. And as I say, a good a good driver during a practice session or a test session. We'll actually know if the you know the setup change they've just done is is all right by like turn two on their outlap just because of the the change of the feeling in the car and it's just it's just it's just it's such a big thing to them it's such a tiny thing we talk about you know a tenth or two tenths of a second like a lifetime and it, and it is but to the driver you know that's that's minutes you know he feels that it's, it's just massive the problem that he's got that creates that two or three tenths of a second loss. Is, is massive to him. So the minute you get a little change on it, he'll know on the way out of the pits that it's, yeah, this is responsible. And what's it like if things are going bad, if you know you've got a problem? How, how long does it take that that to kind of sink in? Is there always that, oh, it started a bit shaky, but it's all right, we'll sort this, this, and this, it'll be fine. But when, what's, what do you go through when you realise you've got a bit of a battle and then maybe as you go through testing, things aren't starting to come to you and car's not responding to setup changes and you realize you're you've got a little bit of a battle heading to melbourne well again you know that just as quickly as as you do the good parts um, and it's about admitting it to yourself and making sure that you react to it a lot of time is wasted trying to find that little that little setup tweak that will fix every problem and it, and it isn't there and to be honest it's how teams have separated themselves a little bit and in the, in the, you know lately you've, we've always had this or back Quite a few years ago, we had the sort of technical director that was the the guy at the circuit. He was the guy in the design office. He was the guy doing the whole thing. Um, and now, it's sort of separated a little bit. You've got you know performance guys at the track. You've got a racing director, I would like to call it, and you've got technical directors. and And that's to make sure that you're not you're not letting yourself fall into that little grey area. It's easy if you've got control of the whole thing to think there's a, a little knob there that we can turn and it'll, you'll get it fixed. But um, I think separating has meant that doesn't happen so often now. So you've got to make sure that you're you're a team of people at the track that are a different team of people that are the team of people back at the factory. You're looking for that performance. You have all the information from the aero mapping and you know suspension data, whatever, to get the best, get the car into its working window as such. And if you've got your car into that working window and you've analysed the data and you made sure the car's working there and it's not performing then you've got to make sure that story goes back to those guys at the factory and you what's the problem you know you've you've it's one of those old sayings you've got to say you 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 know you you need to know everything that's wrong and nothing that's right so it doesn't matter if the car's good it'll perform and it'll give you the lap time but if it's not you need to know what's wrong so you need to be able to bring that message back to the guys that can fix it and, and make sure they believe it and get on with it and a lot of the teams that I've seen in the past that have struggled that I've had a little bit of involvement with it's all been about that message it's not been getting back nobody believed that there's a problem you know uh, yeah you know the guys back at the factory were just saying well the race team didn't 
didn't do this right, you know, that stiffer rear anti-roll bar would have fixed everything and away you'd have gone. Not like that, but the team that believes in themselves the best and in their people and that the message that's being brought home is true and react and they react to it will respond the best and get on with it. Well, that's what's going to be happening tomorrow, isn't it? There are going to be some teams who are happy, some teams who are unhappy, some who are sort of in between, not quite so sure which way it's, which it's going to go. And it is going to be fascinating. We're going to be, as we said, there in force. We'll have Gary there. You'll be out trackside and roaming around the pit lane, making a nuisance of yourself, uh, seeing what's going on. We'll have on Autosport.com live coverage, minute by minute, lap times, uh, analysis of what's going on, tyre compounds, all that kind of thing. We'll have daily podcasts with uh, with Gary Anderson as well. At the end of each day, his, his verdict on, on what he's seen. We've also got extensive video coverage as well and technical coverage from Gary, Giorgio Piola, Jake Boxall Leg, and check our YouTube channel and motorsport.tv for our in-depth video coverage. So uh, there's going to be plenty to talk about and uh, plenty of ways to consume it through Autosport. So uh, please do keep an eye out for our, uh, our podcast over the next couple of days as well as all of our other content on uh, autosport.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.